With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad along with Andrew Gillis and Mike Nislik. The weekend is almost here. We're just about into Friday. It's starting to feel a lot like Friday. We've been building up the hype, and you can't stop building up the hype for this weekend's game between the Bengals and the Chiefs at Paycourt Stadium. In my opinion, not to take away from other games this Sunday, but one of the best, if not the best, games Sunday. And the hype is so real that before the end of our podcast yesterday, we were building up to this hype prediction that our man Andrew had on Sir Mahomes. So, Andrew, bring out the drum roll. Break out your prediction on what you were saying about Mr. Mahomes. Well, it, it wasn't so much of a prediction as it was a hypothetical. Um, so the quick backstory on this is after the Titans game, Zach Taylor said, you know, hey, um, we wouldn't trade our quarterback for anybody in the world. And funny enough, uh, one of uh, our new hires at Cleveland.com, Jimmy Watkins, who's one of my really good friends, messaged me and said, if you know, let's pretend that they make a trade and the Chiefs and the, and the Bengals decide to get together for this Madden level trade. How many firsts need to go to Kansas City to get Pat Mahomes? Because the reason that we talked about this whole discussion Ooh. is, and I think it's important to talk about kind of in the concept of, of everything that we have talked about this week, because like Joe Burrow is an MVP level quarterback. Joe Burrow is a quarterback where, you know, I've said this before, I think if the, you know, you need to be on a good team. And like if Joe, if the Bengals ever finish 14 and three, 13 and four, Joe Burrow's either right in the conversation for MVP or he's winning it. But I think when you talk about these Brady Manning and, you know, oh, is this the future of the AFC? I think it does kind of come in the context of Mahomes is so much better than the field. So I, I was just curious as to your guys' opinion, because my answer was three. Like if, if, the, if, the, if the Chiefs say, hey, we really want Joe Burrow, we need some draft picks, you know, let's do a Mahomes for Burrow swap. I need th- like I'm I, I, like if I'm the Chiefs, I wouldn't ever do it. But if I'm the Bengals, I start with three. And I just—I was curious as to your guys' opinion on this as somebody who's watched Joe Burrow all year because I think, like I said, it, Joe Burrow is, an, is so good, but it is also important to contextualize that Pat Mahomes might be the best quarterback that has ever lived. He's at least the most talented quarterback that has probably ever lived up to this point. So I, I was just curious as to your guys' opinion on that. Mike, you want to go first on this one? Um. 
So is the question is you're trading like a hypothetical Burrow. world. If you're trading Joe Burrow to the Chiefs for Patrick Mahomes, how many first would you have to give up if you're the Bengals before you say no? Because my answer was three. I was like, if you get to four, that's a little dicey. But if if the Chiefs called me today and I'm Duke Tobin in Cincinnati and they said, hey, three first and Burrow for Mahomes, I'm taking that right immediately. Man, I just think, like I, I said, I think it's a good thought exercise for kind of how that is actually. That is actually, dang, man. God, I didn't even even like that. actually threw me off. I would not have expected yeah. that from right. you, Andrew. I mean, but shout that's out crazy. Jimmy Watkins. There's a reason. And Jimmy Watkins, yeah. Um, <laughs> but but God, I, I, he, I don't think you would do that, though. Like I'm, I mean, I, like okay, I, like I like with the contract. Like I mean, are you saying there's no thing, no such thing as contracts? Like in this, well, yeah, like I get, yeah, like in this hypothetical, you know, let's presume that. Burrow goes for market value. Mahomes goes for market value. Or if you just want to throw out the contracts, that's fine. Um, but I because think like that, I think there's something to be said like uh, the, for a team at some point trying a strategy where like you reload with a top quarterback on a rookie deal every four years if you have a right. Super Bowl team around them. Sure, because quarterback contracts tend to cripple teams. Um, well, yeah, Kansas and it's City like the exception. And Mahomes has sort of um, bucked that trend, but um, right. like, could they? Could the Bengals even absorb that hit? Like, the, the way they structure Burrow's contract is going to be key to like their success going forward. Right. So, if like they absorb Mahomes' contract, which is like fifty million a year or something like that, it's it's four hundred and fifty over ten. So, like, <sighs> and they give up three picks. Like, I think you just have nothing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be like You're one broke. of those things where it's. You know, it's, you know, obviously, like, if like if I'm the Bengal, like, if I'm Joe Burrow, I'm asking for that contract, and, like, by the time the cap explodes, he might get it. Uh, but, like, if they were to sign the same contract in the same year, like, if they were the same draft class and everything like that, and Joe Burrow were to say, I want Patrick Mahomes' contract, I'm saying no to that. I'm not saying you say no to signing them all together. You give your franchise quarterback what he wants, but, you know, I, I just think that, you know, contracts aside – I, I just think it's important to say how good Mahomes really is. I mean, so I don't the, think he's three draft picks better. I think I think three he's three first for, better. There's three years. Like there's yeah. just. Uh, I mean, like, are you saying he's like the? Is he like the Ricky Walker? Would you give up a whole draft class for him? Ricky Williams. Ricky Williams. Sorry, Ricky Walker. Yeah, Ricky uh, Walker. I was like, what? Ricky Walker. I was like, who's the defensive tackle? Ricky Walker. <laughs> Shout out Ricky Walker. Um no, yeah, like I, I mean the thing with like the thing with Burrow is that uh like if you have Burrow on your team, you're pretty confident that as long as the rest of the team is not a complete dumpster fire, you're going to be contending for Super Bowls for a decade. Uh but I know that for a fact with Mahomes, like you know, everybody talks about like, you know, oh, look, the um you know, the Patriots dynasty, like that's so rare. And like, it, it absolutely is rare, but I mean, the chiefs go to the AFC champ, like in Mahomes' first year, AFC championship game, second year, they win the Super Bowl. third year, they lose the Super Bowl. last year, they lose the AFC championship game to the Bengals. And now they're nine and two, like, not only are you good and like one of the better AFC teams, like you're continually one of the best teams in the sport. And I just think Mahomes gives you that extra level that nobody else in the world can. I mean, so the thing is, like, 
all of this, all of that is valid. And like, I, I'm still thinking as I'm talking right now. But like, the thing about it is, like, Mike kind of made a point. I mean, you're gonna destroy your cat because yeah, the contract thing is the contract thing. You're is gonna important. destroy it. But let's say, so let's say the percentage of the cap. Let's do that. Like, whatever percentage of the cap Mahomes is at. If Burrow signs, you know, because the cap goes up every year, right? So if you sign up the same percentage of that cap for Burrow. Let's pretend. Let's let's do let's do it like that. Like what percentage? So like so you know Burrow or excuse me Mahomes may you know four hundred fifty million over ten years. Uh, he has a contract that gets worth up to forty five million dollars a year. Whatever percentage of the cap that is, let's say Burrow. Like signs I, and like, what are you talking about? Like because like so say like the Burrow they go. They won eleven games this year, and the Chiefs with thirteen. Let's, I mean, a hypothetical. That doesn't seem. I mean, it could even be reser- reversed at the end. I suppose. I mean, like except like you know, twelve and 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 yeah. ten. Uh, you know, um, it's so. I mean, you're not going to give up three first round draft picks for two wins. Like I, I think your bros at an elite level. So like the difference is not worth. You know, like there's no, like the value to get two extra wins. Mm-hmm. Is not three three first round draft picks, but it, right, but it's not a one year thing. Like I think, like the, no, I'm the, saying, like an going to be- forward, like like the gap between them, if you surround them with Super Bowl quality teams, right? If both of them have right. Super Bowl quality teams, I don't think that there's that much difference. Sure, but I think the difference between, like, I guess, like. You know, one of these one of these years over Burrow's year, over Burrow's ca- career, over Mahomes' career, they're gonna put out a team that is not very good. Like it, it's just the odds are that the Chiefs are are not gonna surround Mahomes every single year with a high quality team like they had in nineteen or twenty or whatever it was. Same with the Bengals; like they're not gonna have the you know a top five offense because they have three great receivers they're not going to have those guys forever they're not going to have a top 12 ish defense forever like you're going to have a year where oh no the defense is 28th or you know the the receivers like the chiefs did last year they didn't have a good defense last year or the chiefs they didn't have an offensive line um but i think that in those situations in those years where you know, maybe if you just had Joe Schmo at quarterback, almost like a wins above replacement thing in baseball. Like if you just had an average NFL quarterback, you're talking about like a six and eleven team. I think Mahomes lifts that floor higher than Burrow would. I do agree with that, but the thing about it is, and this is a genuine question because we don't know what he's thinking. But like Burrow's going to have one more year left on his contract because he's still on that rookie deal after this year. I mean. How much do you think he would ask for? Because I know you're talking about let's put it at the the percentage of what Mahomes is making off the cap in Kansas City. How much could you, do you really think Burrow would want? He's going to want more than he's making now, but like how much more? Because I think about like Tom Brady, and in a way he was smart. He never had like record-breaking contracts like say Aaron Rodgers had or close to what Mahomes is making. Like he had void years in his contract which is becoming popular now because that gives teams more cap space because he knew with that it would help him build the team around him. So do you think Burrow would probably do something more like that where he knows he can keep building with guys around him by having voyeurs in his contract? Or does he want to go for the big bucks and the big dollar? Well, I I don't know if it's go for the big bucks. I think, uh, I think like, I think Tom Brady was such a unique case where he played for so long. um, And then also his wife was, uh, I think did I see a report that they're like getting back together, or they? Oh, did you? I don't know. I I thought I did. Um, but like at the time, 
Um, his wife is like in, she's making a, like a hundred million plus a year. Like the family was not like if Tom Brady was not exactly like scrounging for those extra like five million dollars a year. Like that wasn't really you know a huge um, uh, you know like a huge like impetus for him. He he, he didn't really have to worry about that too much. Um, I, the Burrow contract thing is like obviously something that we're going to discuss. You know in like ad nauseum for a very long time. Um, but I also think that what we're going to, when we're when we talk about that, it's going to have to be a situation where, okay, what did Justin Herbert sign for? And okay. What or Lamar Jackson. Like what, what's Lamar he going to get in the off season? For? Yeah. And like, some and of that's these a guys big thing. That are, yeah. Some of these guys that are up, I mean, what happens? At, I don't know when Dak Prescott's contract up is. I feel like he signed one a few years ago, but like not what sure. happens when that is up? What happens when X, you know, when this neck, whatever, whatever rookie or whatever guy in a rookie deal, I mean, is is up. Like, I think that that is going to kind of dictate the market a little bit more. Um, So numbers wise, I wouldn't say, but like whenever Burrow signs, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be top of the line value. Like, um, you know, Josh Allen, I think he he signed like a seven year deal or something like that for like 275 million or 260 million or something around that. Like he didn't get as big of a contract as Mahomes got. So I think it's just going to depend on who's up around him. Six year, 258, 150 million. A hundred million guaranteed. Wow. Golly, man. What would you do? Actually, here's a real question. This is probably, I'm going to get you guys thinking, what would you do with, a hundred million dollars that would be guaranteed, like you just mentioned. Like, what would you do with that if you had retire. to split it up? Retire. Well, once you retire, what would you do with that the hundred million though? I'd buy a beach house in Pauly's Island, South Carolina. Uh, I'd have a really. I feel, nice, like I feel like you've said this before. Yeah, uh, I'd have a really nice basement set up with a really nice TV, really nice recliner. I'd wake up every morning to the sunset on the beach. I'd go for a walk. Um, I'd go to the pool. I'd relax. I'd take a nap. I'd take like three naps a day. Oh yeah, like there are people that are like, well, you have to do something if you win a hundred million. No, you don't. No, you absolutely do not. I can sit on my butt on the beach for sixty years and wait to die. That's. I'd be too uh, bored what though. I, do. I, do, I mean, I, I mean, I'm a hyperactive person, but I'm still like, even if I, mean, I wasn't hyperactive, I still get bored. That you do stuff like. You know, like like if you're if you're living out of state, like if you're living in Florida and or wherever you want to live, or you want to live in California, wherever. Like if you want to live in a certain destination place, you have the money like once a month to go see your friends and wherever. Or maybe you just invite your friends down there and you pay for their airfare, you pay for them or whatever. You 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 find stuff to do. Like you 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 don't you're not sitting there every day seven days a week. You go do stuff. You go, you know, if you want to see a really good sporting event. Go see that. Hey, buy your way into the Super Bowl. Go see it as a fan. You know, do this, do that. Well, that's like, true. That's working, true. No way. If I win $100 million, no. It's funny. It reminds me of uh, Chris Mack, Louisville basketball coach. He um, he quit. You know, that whole fallout happened, and he quit the basketball team right before the Super Bowl last year. And he grew up uh, around Cincinnati, and he coached at Xavier. So He's a big Bengals fan, so once he literally left in the middle of the season, the first thing he did with the money he got from his buyout, he went to L.A. for the Super Bowl, so it kind of reminds me of that. So you're honestly – I mean, you're not wrong. Obviously, I think he's trying to get back into the game somehow because he doesn't have a job right now uh, coaching, but 
Heck, he's he's comfortable and so is his family. But when we come back, we're gonna actually talk about why Patrick Mahomes is the best, like Andrew mentioned, how the Bengals defense can put an encore of what they did to him in Arrowhead last year. Plus, we'll have some throwback Thursday. All much more on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So we've talked a lot about the whole Burrow versus Mahomes debate, and we could go on and on and on and on until, like you said, Andrew, we're all sitting here retired on whatever app replaces uh, the one reason right now to record this podcast. But in all seriousness, with Mahomes, I mean, you make good points. Uh, there really are a lot of things that he does as far as scanning the field and throwing the ball that Joe Burrow just hasn't been able to do yet. Although, obviously, there's a lot of things that – Burrow has in common, and I think Burrow has more in common with Mahomes than any other quarterback who's not Burrow. But with Mahomes, with all these attributes, you know, if you're the Bengals' defense from up top to the bottom, you know, you did what you had to do in the second half last year. You only allowed a field goal, which was the one that forced overtime, but you had two interceptions, including the one in overtime that Von Bell had that. You could argue up to this point is the greatest interception in Cincinnati history. What changes this year? I know we talked about, oh, last year was last year, but, I mean, if you're looking at Mahomes today, the 9-2 and two Mahomes, what do the Bengals have to do to throw him off rhythm? <laughs> hey, I know that's a loaded question, yeah. but what, what comes to mind right away uh, when you think about that? Pray, really. Um, no. But I, before I, the game, you know, of course. Lou Anarumo <laughs> um, talked about this, and I think he had a really good point. Um, against guys like this, you have to mix up your coverage because, you know, he used the baseball analogy where it was like, you know, if, if they're a fastball hitter and they know fastball is coming and they get fastball, you're it's over. So, you know, you've got to mix up looks. You've got to disguise coverages um, because, you know, the, the, you're talking about a guy who has, like I said, you know, he might be the most talented quarterback just physically in terms of his attributes that has, you know, than any quarterback that has ever played this game. So you're talking about a guy who, can roll out left, can roll out right, can evade tacklers, and then launch it 60 yards to the other side of the field. Like, you know, I was talking to some of the corners about that today. Like, it, it, the field doesn't really shrink. You know, if you're, you know, if you're playing, you know, Kenny Pickett, or, you know, a better example even would be like, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, you know, like, if even if you're playing a quarterback who like puts up good numbers or whatever, if, if they roll out, like, if you get them to the, you know, uh, you know, outside the hash marks and kind of rolling towards the sideline, you kind of shrink the field. You know, you see it a lot when, you know, teams are uh, teams are on one hash mark in college where they'll blitz from the wide side of the field and just kind of force you into this hole. So you have to throw to a limited area that doesn't work with Patrick Mahomes. So um, you, you have to mix up the coverages. You have to play man. You have to play zone. You have to blitz. You have to drop eight. You, you have to do a bunch of different things to try and confuse him. Because he's going to get his. Kelsey is going to get his. And you've just kind of got to slow them down as much as you can. I mean, it's one of those – it's the common cliche. You can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. Or you can only hope to slow him down. Like, that's yeah, that's kind of what this is. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean that's, that's, that's true. Robin, 
there's not, you know, when you look at the numbers in terms of like the, the game by game and, you know, comparing some of their losses to um, the, their wins, you know, he, he had two of his, uh, in terms of yardage, least productive games, but I mean, nothing else kind of, you know, really stands out. They lost to Indianapolis uh, week three, 20 to 17 and Buffalo, obviously uh, a very good team, 24 to 20. Uh, but they've played some close games recently, and, and he's been putting up numbers. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, it, it, you, like you said, you just kind of, I don't know, try to keep pace. Uh, and that's something that um, I, I think the Bengals are, are well positioned to do, that, you know, you can't play, I think, catch up in this game. This is the, the kind of game you don't want to have a game like that against the Steelers or the Cowboys where you're falling behind early. I think that's what you got to kind of avoid at all costs. Um, so you don't have to take chances. Uh, defensively, and you can kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, let Joe Burrow sort of, you know, steady the ship and, and, and lead the way. And and I think, you know, you, you want to try to, you know, we'll see what Joe Mixon's status is, but I think run the ball a little bit, uh, take some time off the clock and, and, and utilize that or, or the screen game, one or the other, you know, in terms of, um, you know, you're not looking at quick strike drives, you're trying to sort of, you know, hold on to the ball a little bit to, to make sure he doesn't, He'll have it for long stretches, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about this with the um, uh, with the Bengals all season long. You know, they you know they've mentioned it offensively, kind of how they're playing behind the chains. Like when the when the Titans played the Chiefs a few weeks ago, they got after Mahomes. You know, they were all in his face all game. I think they sacked him four times. Uh, they turned the ball over once. I think that that's going to be big. You've got to force some turnovers against this guy just to kind of steal a possession or two. Because remember, like, it's not just that Patrick Mahomes is really good. It's that he's got a Hall of Fame offensive coach leading the way. So, like, you know, to me, you've you've got to do things that put them in situations where you can take advantage of their aggressiveness. You know, whether that's you, you get a sack on first down, you get a holding penalty, and all of a sudden it's first and 20, it's second and 17 or it's third and 12, like you've got to put them in those situations because then you can get Mahomes to force some stuff because Mahomes, like Zach Taylor said it this week, Mahomes does a lot of things that are typical quarterback no-nos where you just don't teach a quarterback to do. Yeah. And um, you know, you've got to kind of force him into those situations and have him make a couple bad decisions. That's that's a perfect example of what you mentioned because that interception Bell had, it came on a third and deep. And they had eight dropped. They dropped eight on that coverage where they had Bates on Tyreek Hill and Von Bell was right there to get that pick. Now, I don't know if you're going to have that many situations like that because you'd think they'd learn from that. And I think they've been more successful in those coverages, at least from what I've seen in the games I've seen Mahomes in this year. But the disguises and the mix-ups, they've done that all year, the Bengals, and they've done good at it. I think they did their best job with it against Tennessee. And I even mentioned this in our post-game podcast in Nashville, where whether it was you know Logan Wilson and Sam Hubbard or even DJ Reader at times, like, you mixed up all-out blitzes with some cover, too. And normally, they, they, they play a too-high safety defense like most teams, but a lot of times, you had Von Bell up in the box. And, of course, that's because you want to stop Derrick Henry. But even then, he'd be in the box, and he'd drop deep, and then that kind of threw off Ryan Tannehill on those second, third-down coverages, like you mentioned, where Mahomes may make some of those errant throws and those, um, as you specifically said, those no-nos. But with that... Kind of taking it a step further, you talk about uh, a good point you made, Andrew, is taking time off the clock, managing the ball. Or maybe I think you mentioned it, Michael. But you know, if you look at that last drive the Bengals had offensively uh, against the Chiefs in uh, Cincinnati, 
that was what they did. They took a lot of time off the clock before they kicked that game-winning field goal. And you, you really what stood out was how aggressive Zach Taylor was. I think to this day, that drive was the most aggressive he's been in his career. How much more aggressive do you think the Bengals get in situations like that? Do you think they do that again? Do you think it's a little different? Like, how do you see sort of that aggressive play calling in those situations against the Chiefs? Not particularly. I, I mean, I think they do those things based on the game and, and sort of the stakes. I mean, there's no reason to sort of um, kind of go crazy here. This is just a regular season game, you know, in the middle of the season. I think they will um, kind of judge it based on sort of how the game goes. I mean, last week I was sort of surprised when uh, – you know, fourth and one, or was that two weeks ago? Fourth and one, either way, uh, on, uh, you know, short field, and they decide to go for a field goal early in the game. Um, and, you know, he, he wasn't aggressive. Uh, so I just think that, um, you know, th- that he's very game-specific and, and kind of feeling out sort of how the game goes. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think he'll ha- – I don't think he's necessarily kind of penciled in, like, I got to be super aggressive today. That's fair. Yeah. So you're saying it's just more of it's more situational football. Yeah, I, I think that's and that's I think what he talked about this week that, um, you know, we'll kind of see how the game goes. Yeah. And I think um, to add on to that, I don't know, like, obviously, you have to try and, you know, uh, you have to try and score points against this team because, like I oh, said, yeah. you, know, you, you have to you have to keep pace with them to some extent, um, you know, so I. I don't know if that necessarily means, you know, aggressive and play calling. It might be game decision-making. Um, you know, if you're sitting there and it's a fourth and one from, you know, the Chiefs 34 and it's a makeable kick for McPherson, I think maybe in those situations you might, you know, I think that that kind of plays into it. Maybe you go for it. But, you know, you also got to understand, too, like you're playing the Chiefs. Like last year you were down 21 to three. I get, you know, they were, what, a yard away from making it um, – you know, they were, what, a yard away from making it 28-3 to at halftime. Uh, but About two yards, year, yeah. Last year in the second half, they had, um, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the Bengals had five possessions in the third and fourth quarter. Like, they did. You don't want to say that you have to be more aggressive in situations like this because you can almost, like, be more calm if you know, if you're confident in your abilities because it's a little bit like a basketball game when, when this turns out. Because it's like, okay, this is a game of runs, and you know that you're going to get your possessions eventually. And as we saw last year, like the Bengals can erase an 18-point lead. Um, they can erase leads like that. So I, I wonder if if it's not so much play calling, if, if, if it's just, you know, game management, strategic decisions, and things like that. It's a good also, point. Yeah, that's a good example. Both, those games are both on the road, so I think that changes your – that does impact well, One of them was on the road. What was on the road? Oh, weren't yeah. they both on the road? No, the, you talking about the Chiefs games that the Bengals played? Yeah, yeah. yeah one there was well, the regular season one was in Cincinnati. Oh, it was in Cincinnati. Okay. Yeah, and then the playoff game was at Arrowhead. But I mean, yeah, it with how crazy it was, you couldn't even tell because I think honestly, when I was watching that game on TV, because I wasn't covering the Bengals at the time, like you could tell there were a lot of Kansas City fans. There's actually, I think, by the way, I have a, a weird theory. I think there's a lot of Chiefs fans who hide in Cincinnati because I've gone around like Northern Kentucky where I live, and I've seen a lot of Patrick Mahomes jerseys. So I would not be shocked. If there's a lot of Chiefs fans uh, in Cincinnati on Sunday, but I, I mean. Don't know. 
I don't know. But that, maybe that's just my own conspiracy theory. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if those me. are Chiefs fans or if those are just Patrick Mahomes fans. That, I don't so, know, but like, so there are a lot of fans that were there last year. Well, like, so it's I'll use an example. My dad is a is an LA Rams fan, and he <laughs> he grew up and he was like, I never talked to Rams fans. I never saw them, and they were literally the the in terms of record the worst team in the NFL in the nineties. Oh yeah, and they beat the Titans in the Super Bowl. And all of a sudden, everywhere I go, I'm at the beach and I see a guy in a Rams hat and a Rams hat. And I see, you know, I'm I'm at the grocery store and I see a Super Bowl champion Rams shirt. And like I grew up in Northern Virginia, like I think I think it's just one of those things where people like winners. It's not so much a bandwagon thing as it is just people really like to watch players almost at this like at this day and age. So I don't know if it's a Chiefs thing. I think it might be just. Hey, the Chiefs are really fun, and, and Patrick Mahomes is the reason. Interesting. Okay, well, good point there. And by the way, uh, that is really interesting that your dad's a Rams fan living in. Yeah, Northern he doesn't Virginia. even know why. Like I ask him all the time. I bet he doesn't. Like, I have no idea. I don't think most Rams fans even know why they're Rams fans, and that's the unique thing about it. But uh, just to kind of St. Louis, but. Well, I mean, well, the thing the thing about this, I mean, they're not really that popular in L.A. because. They're overshadowed by all the other teams there. And then people in St. Louis pretty much hate them because of what Mr. Yeah. Crunky did. So they're in a really interesting spot. But to kind of wrap up the whole Mahomes and stopping him discussion, obviously there's no Tyreek Hill, but that hasn't stopped Mahomes from being an MVP front runner. So if you're Cincinnati, how different is it covering, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, who practiced on Thursday after he was out with an illness this week, and... Well, Kadarius Tony didn't practice, so he may not play. But say Kadarius Tony is questionable when he plays, whether it's Kadarius Tony, Smith Schuster, and of course Travis Kelsey, who's in my opinion the best tight end at his position. I mean, how does that change without Tyreek? There's just not as much speed. Um, I mean, Kadarius Tony not practicing is not a surprise to anybody. He's been hurt since he's been in the league. It feels like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the guy that every that it, you got to stop is Kelsey. And I think kind of like what I said about stopping the homes, like what Lou said, you got to just throw a bunch of different stuff at him and hope it works because he's, he's the best in the league at his position. And I mean, he's a hall of famer and I mean, no matter what you do, he's going to get open. So it's, again, it's just one of those things you got to mitigate what he does well. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, um, like we talked about all the other points you made, it all adds up. It's just a matter of, uh, Less speed, and I mean, we've seen how they prepared for Tyreek this year. They played against him um, back in Week Five when they played. Uh, was it Week Four, or Week Five? Whenever they played Dolphins during one of those weeks, that's when they prepared for him. So they, I think, they understand the difference, obviously, and uh, they'll adjust to that accordingly. But to wrap up, you know, we can't finish off a Thursday night pod without some throwback Thursday. So I'm gonna make this fun for you guys. We talked about this a little bit on our obviously those midseason awards we had in the bye week, but. You guys have covered uh, 11 games. I've covered a little bit less than that since I started after you all. But in the 11 games you've covered this year, uh, covering Cincinnati, what has been your favorite game to cover and why? If you want to just throw it back even a week ago or three weeks ago. Mohammed, you go first. Gosh, I'd say, I mean, the Saints game is the fun one for me. I mean, that was the closest comeback win the Bengals had. It was their best comeback win. You had all the storylines for Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I mean, the feel-good stories, like, you could really feel the feel-good side of the story. And, I mean, I'm a big New Orleans guy. I'm a little biased. I just like being in New Orleans. So 
you know, the city, the charm, the storylines, the comeback, all of it just made for a good day, in my opinion. Andrew, let's hear yours. Uh, man. Um, I'm going to say the game against the Cowboys. Uh, I think that that was – and I, and it, it, it wasn't even – for really anything that happened on the field. I mean, the end of the game was exciting. It was kind of a clunker up until like the fourth quarter. Um, but Jerry world is so cool. Um, co- like covering a game there was awesome. Um, the stadium is really unique. Um, I think the, you know, just the, the entire atmosphere was something that, you know, I haven't really seen um, in the NFL since like, I mean, we were like, Mike and I were at, uh, we were at MetLife the week after that. And like, uh, that atmosphere doesn't come close. Like, I don't think any road atmosphere that we've had, you know, maybe like as you get closer to the end and you start to have some of these bigger games, uh, that'll matter. But I mean, just the stadium, the, just the whole aura of, of the Dallas Cowboys, I think was really cool. I'd go with the, the Dolphins game. Um, it just was the, yeah, that uh, was the, my the, next guess or the, my next answer. It was the, your guess. You guessed it. Uh, it was the right. whiteout night. Uh, the first time they wore it, they had the stadium like that. Uh, from hearing from fans, um, it was the loudest the stadium has been, even louder than than um, some of those playoff games and things like that, and, and games on the stretch last year, uh, a record-setting crowd. And it, it felt like a college atmosphere almost in terms of, like, the engagement. Um, you don't get that a lot in the NFL. Um, it's just a, just a different deal. Um, and, and that felt, like, um, it, different. Um, and I think that uh, um, that was fun. In terms of you know, it, it, how scary there were when when Tua got hurt. But outside of that, it was a, a pretty memorable uh, game for the home crowd. Just uh, you know, they were into that one. Yeah, I mean, I would probably would have said that as my second guess. And for me, that was the first ever game I covered because, like I said, I didn't start until three weeks later. I was still at my last job because you know they saved the best for last, right? But haha. <laughs> but no, I mean that that was fun. The wide out, and I think that was uh, yeah, that was the highest sellout in Bengals history. So, you know, man, what a game, what a night still feels like yesterday. That was my first game, but a lot of good times. I think once we finally wrap up the season uh, in over a month, which is, God, that's hard to believe because it is December 1st. Once we wrap up the season, we could probably do like a a real final look back, but folks tune in tomorrow. We're going to have our final thoughts, predictions, and previews ahead of the capital T-H-E game on Sunday. But once again, for myself, Andrew Gillis and Mike Nice, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Have a great day.